like each other, but it's all good. All right. Okay. Right. It's all good. Someone say amen. amen. Well, we're glad you're here this morning. If you're looking for a church, don't look anymore. You just found one. Right. So let's go ahead and um, let's pray and let's dive into God's word. Yeah. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to come together and have a time of worship, Lord, to, to praise you and, and to love you, Lord. And Father, we're so thankful that you love us back. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today as we start this new series. Father, that um, we'd understand the importance of contending, fighting, standing up for the truth, the faith. We love you. We praise you. I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name. All God's people said... Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, turn to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 is our text today. We're going to start um, a new series from this book. By the way, Jude is right in between 3 John and Revelation. And we're going to start this new series that I'm calling Fight for the Truth. Everyone say that. The book of Jude is, is an amazing book. It's a very short book, one chapter, 25 verses in all about 613 words. It's the fourth shortest book in the New Testament. You have 2 John, uh, 3 John, Philemon, and then you have this book, the book of Jude. It's a short book, but it's packed with power. Someone say that. Packed with power. It's packed with a wealth of truth, and it's packed with a big punch. Say that. Packed with a big punch. So let me give you some background before we dive into the first point here, some background of this book. The author is Jude. Say Jude. Jude is his English name. Jude, again, is his English name. Judas, his Greek name. And Judah is his Hebrew name. There were three men named Jude or Judas who had significant roles in Jesus' day. And you had Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, this is the disciple who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You also had Judas, another of Jesus' disciples, also called or known as Thaddeus. Then you have Jude, the writer of this book, and he was the brother of James and the half-brother of Jesus. Say the half-brother of Jesus. So with a side note here, I want to say this. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that not only was Mary a virgin when she became pregnant with Jesus, which the Bible does teach that, but they claim that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. And that's just not correct. The Bible does not claim that. She had at least six other kids, four more boys, and at least two girls, and to state my case here, Mark chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Write that down, Mark 6, verse 3. And Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 56. I'm going to read that to you. It says, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and uh, these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's, the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So I just want to make sure we understand that, okay? Now, Judah was among the siblings of Jesus, who at first did not believe in Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. In fact, they thought that Jesus was, was, he was crazy. He was nuts. And I want you to think about this, though, that even Jesus had unbelieving family members. Get that? Even Jesus had unbelieving family members. Now, it was most likely after the resurrection that Jude 
and James came to understand that their half-brother, Jesus Christ, was in fact, Jesus was in fact the Son of God, and they gave their lives to him. Here's a lesson. I'm going to have, jump right into a lesson right now. Here's a lesson. Never stop praying for your family members. Never stop praying for your family members. You keep praying for them, and you keep praying, and you keep praying, and you keep praying for them until they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. You never stop praying for that husband or that wife or that son or that daughter or that son-in-law, daughter-in-law, that brother-in-law or sister-in-law, that uncle, aunt, cousin, nephew, niece, that, that grandson or granddaughter or grandparent. You keep praying for them until they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen? Jude's name. Jude's name means praised or let him be praised. In other words, praise God or let God be praised. The date written was about 65 to 80 A.D., and it was written to Jewish Christians and to all Christians everywhere. The key verse is verse 3, and I'm going to read it to you. Verse 3, we'll get, dive into that later on here. Verse 3, where Jude writes, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, or in other words, the common salvation, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for, come on, say it, the faith. Contend for the faith. Fight for the faith that was once for all entrusted to who? The saints, to us, the believers. Now the setting. Well, this, these were not the easiest of circumstances for the early church. And at this time, they were under severe attack uh, from, the go, excuse me, from the Roman government. But the greatest obstacle that they faced was attacks not from without, but from within within the church. Now, the purpose in Jude's letter was twofold. I want you to follow me here. He wanted to expose, first of all, the first purpose was he wanted to expose the apostates, say apostates, or false teachers, say false teachers, that had, that had infiltrated the Christian community. And you see, there was a growing movement of apostasy. Now, the word apostasy or apostate means those who never really, listen now, those who never really had the true faith, but pretended to be a part of it. They, they are nominal Christians. In other words, Christians in name only. So there was a growing movement of apostasy and false teaching arising in the church, seeking to infiltrate and disrupt the church. So he wanted to expose the apostates and expose the false teachers. The second purpose was this. He wanted to encourage, say encourage, Christians to stand firm in the faith, to fight for the truth, and to finish strong. Got it? To expose the apostates and false teachers, and to encourage Christians to stand firm in the faith, to fight for the truth, and to stand, or excuse me, to finish strong. Now why this book? Why this book? Why? Because we live in a day in age, friends, in a culture where truth is under attack. And our culture says there is no such thing as objective truth. Postmodernists say true for you, but not true for me. They don't believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. You know, it seems as if people no longer embrace the fact that we have absolute truth. And they believe that truth is relative, depending on a particular situation or circumstance. Now listen, church, truth is not something, get this now, truth is not something that varies. Are you with me? Truth doesn't change. Say that. 
Truth doesn't change. Truth is absolute. And you and I, we have that absolute truth found in God's Word. And this is what the book of Jude presents, a great warning about to stand firm, to fight for the truth. Listen, friends, if we abandon truth, if you and I abandon truth, there's nothing left to stand upon. And so I pray that in this series, as we go through, throughout this series, in this book, friends, we will open our hearts to God's word and allow him to speak to us and to prepare our hearts with courage to deal with this attack and assault on our faith and on our truth. To fight and stand for God's truth in these difficult, trying times. Are you with me? Listen, church, this is a battle that you and I cannot afford to ignore, cannot afford to lose. Charles Wendell said this, Jude reminds us that there is a time and a place for the aggressive protection of the truth from those who would seek to tear it down. Now, there's any book that the church needs to hear today, it's this book. It's this book. And you know, it's as if Jude were living in today's culture as he was writing this, as if he were living in today's culture. The title of my message is The Call to Fight. Everyone say that. Now say it with, with great enthusiasm. Say it. Here we go. The Call to Fight. Much better. Much better. Six points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the person. Write that down. Say that. The, the person. And we know that the person here is, is Jude. It's Jude, right? And we already learned a few things about Jude in the introduction. But let's look at verse 1a, and I love this. He writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Notice that Jude doesn't say, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. Could have, could have said that, right? But he didn't. He didn't use the family card. Are you guys with me? He didn't use a family card for status or privilege. Rather, he refers to himself as a what? As a servant, a, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Greek, the word bond servant is doulos. Say that. Doulos, it means one who is subservient to and entirely at the disposal of his master. In Hebrew, the word bond servant is ebed, ebed. It has a similar connotation. However, the Mosaic law allowed an indentured servant to become a bondservant voluntarily and willfully. So I want you to write this down. Exodus 21. Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 through 6. It says this, if the servant declares, this is what he, the servant declares. If he declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Willfully and freely decides he wants to be his servant to his master for what? Life. Now throughout the New Testament, the word bondservant, slave, or servant is applied to someone absolutely devoted to Jesus. Did you get that? So Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, 
and Jude all describe themselves as bondservants of Jesus Christ. Jude was a bondservant. In other words, he had decided willfully, voluntarily, right, to be a servant of Christ. He was absolutely devoted to Christ. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We should consider ourselves bondservants of Christ. Why? Because he is our Lord, right? And our allegiance, listen now, is due to him and him alone. And as believers, what we do, we, we renounce other masters, right? We renounce other masters and give ourselves totally to Christ. We are to be absolutely devoted to him. Now, what I love about Jude, what I love about this guy, man, was that he lived in an environment, a culture that was hostile towards Christ and hostile towards Christians, yet he wasn't distressed nor deterred by this opposition. Jude publicly declared his allegiance, love this, and identification with Christ. I mean, he writes there, right, in the text, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. He was devoted to Christ. So Jude not only identifies as a servant of Christ, but he also declares, he declares that he is the brother of James. Look at verse 1b. And the brother of James, a servant of Christ and the brother of James. Now, this was the James who wrote the book of James. Got it? If you got it, see, got it. And also was a leader of the early church. So by identifying with James, friends, listen now, what Jude is doing is publicly and unashamedly identifying with the church of Christ. Got it? He was not ashamed of his faith in Christ. He did not hide his faith. So here's a lesson. Are you ready? Lesson, don't hide your faith. Don't hide it. Don't hide your faith. Don't hide your faith from the world. Don't be a Christian of convenience. In other words, friends, one that only identifies with being a servant of Christ and identifies with this church when it's only convenient. Don't check your faith, your Christianity, at the door when you leave the church. If you're saved, say amen. We need to identify publicly and unashamedly with Jesus Christ and his church. Yes, I am a Christian. And yes, I belong to the body of Christ. Are you guys with me? So don't hide your faith. Say the person. Number two is the people. Write that down. Say that. The people. Well, Jude is addressing this letter to who? To all believers. They're all believers. And what he does is he reveals the condition. Listen now, I love this for all believers. He identifies them in three different ways. So I want you to follow me here. Look at verse 1c. To those who have been called, say called, who are loved, say loved, by God the Father, or sanctified by God the Father, and kept, say kept, or, or preserved, say preserved, by Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? The King James Bible says to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. So as believers, what Jude is saying, as a believer of Christ, listen now friends, we are called. We're called. And, and being called is the idea of God calling a person to salvation. Write this down, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. 
who hath saved us and called us with a, and holy, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Call with a holy calling. Did you get that? Now, why would Jude, why would Jude want believers to think about the fact that they have been called by God? Why? Well, I believe, friends, it's because he wants them to think about the fact that God chose them. Are you with me? And they need to stand up and need to defend the truth as those who have been chosen. I mean, non-believers don't fight for the faith, right? They don't fight for the truth, right? But we do expect believers, right, to fight for the truth. Now, if God has called you, say amen. I'm not convinced. If God has called you, say amen. Then part of your responsibility, listen now, church, Part of your responsibility is to stand up for the truth, to know it, to apply it, and to defend it. We're called. We are also loved, or the Bible's, your Bible might say sanctified by God the Father. In other words, what he's saying here, that as believers, we are set apart. Say that. Set apart from the world and set apart unto God. We are to be separated from the profane things Cleansed and dedicated to God. We are in the world, but no longer of the world, but of God. But of God. And we're expected to live our lives like that. Then he says we are kept or preserved in Jesus Christ. Listen now. This means we are carefully watched and protected. We are carefully watched and protected. Jesus is our guardian, and Jesus is our protector. Are you with me? This is one of the greatest doctrines of the New Testament. If you're safe, say amen. We are called, listen now, we are called to fight for the truth, right? And as we are called to fight for the truth, we can take great comfort, love this, great comfort in the fact that as we go into battle, and it's a battle, as we go into battle, that we're going to be kept and preserved. There'll be some bumps and bruises along the way, but we're going to be kept and preserved. Amen? I also want to point out that the word kept there in the text is the perfect tense, is in the perfect tense, meaning as a believer, listen now, as a believer, you have this protection of God from the point you were called to salvation, now in the present and on into the future. Now I want you to notice something. That Jude begins his letter and ends his letter in the same way. Let's go back to verse 1. Again, he says this, To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and what? Kept or preserved by Jesus Christ. Kept by, preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, now let's jump to verse 24. Look at verse 24. To him who is able to what? Guard you, keep you, preserve you. Got it? From falling, did you get that? From falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with, and with great joy. So I'm going to read it again because I love it. Right? 
Let's go back to verse 1. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, preserved in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, to him who is able to what? Keep you. Here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Ready? God is a keeping God. Come on. God is a keeping God. Prove it, I will. 1 Corinthians 1.8. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard. Say guard. What I, have, what I have entrusted to him until that day. How about the great priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, where it says, the Lord bless you and what? Keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you, right? The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. He's a keeping God, right? He's a keeping God. If you're safe, say amen. He will keep us and he will help us to finish the race, to finish strong. We will persevere. Why? Because God preserves us. So follow me here. God called us to himself. God called us to himself. He set us apart for himself. And he will protect us by himself. If you God say, God, it. God called us to himself, set us apart for himself. He will protect us by himself. The person, the people, number three is the prayer. Say that, the prayer. Jude prayed for three specific areas in the life of believers. And you gotta love this, man. You gotta love this. Verse two, mercy, peace, and what? Love be yours. I wanna stop there. What Jude does, Jude feels a traditional Jewish greeting, mercy and peace with profound Christian meaning by adding love. He adds love to that. Then Jude closes his prayer with the desire, listen now, that these areas be multiplied. Mercy, peace, and love be yours. Let's read on. In what? Abundance. That God's people will have an abundant, overwhelming supply of his mercy, his peace, and his love. Lesson, here we go. Here's a lesson. Pray. Pray. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that they would have an abundant, overwhelming supply of God's mercy, God's peace, and God's love. Oh, that we would pray for each other that way. That you would bless my brother, Lord, and my sister with an abundant, overwhelming supply of your mercy, Lord. Oh, we need your mercy. Of your peace, how we need your peace. And your love, Lord. Pray for each other. Right? Point number four is the plan. Say that. The plan. Look at verse three. Verse three, three A, the first part of verse three. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation 
we share or the common salvation. I want to stop there. You see, Jude, Jude's initial plan, his initial intent was to write to the believers a letter of encouragement about their common salvation, the salvation that they shared with one another, friends. In other words, to celebrate and rejoice in the salvation God gives in Jesus Christ, the privilege and the honor and blessing to have and to follow Jesus as Savior, the blessing about being a part of the family of God. That was his original intent was to write them those encouraging words about their common salvation. That was his plan, his intent. But what he does, he changes his plan from encouragement, listen now, to exhorting, say exhorting, the believers. Why? Why? Because he saw something dangerous in the church. And he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to address the problem of false teachers. Brings us right into point number five. You ready? Say yes. The pressing decree. The pressing decree. Look at verse 3, be with me. The pressing decree. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. I want to stop there. In the Greek, the word contend is ep agonizomai. Try saying that three times real fast. Ep agonizomai. Say that. Ep Agonizomai. That's where we get our English term agony and agonize. Ep agonizomai means to fight, to, to agonize. And so what Jude is saying here, friends, he's saying to contend. Believers, listen now, he's saying, believers, contend, fight, to contend, to fight, to, to agonize vigorously and earnestly for the faith, for the truth of God's word. If you're saved, say amen. Now that we're saved, Listen, friends, now that we're saved, we're in this for the long haul. We are. We're, we're in this for the long haul. So fight for your faith. Stand and stay strong in the Lord. Don't check out. Don't check out. Don't become complacent or lazy in your faith. Rather, fight for the faith. Why? Because it's important. Why? Because it's valuable. And if it's important and it should be and valuable and it should be, it's worth fighting for. Right? Right? And sadly, friends, we live in a day and age where many have abandoned their faith for the ways of the world. Many have decided that it's no longer worth the effort and have compromised with the world. Others, listen now, others have bought into the lie that we need to bring the world into the church if we are to reach this generation. Listen, if, if I could urge you, if I could urge you to do one thing, urge you to do one thing, friends, it would be to, to contend for the faith. To hold on to the truths that will never, say never, never change. Fight for that. We're talking about unchanging truth. Right? Not wavering truth. Okay? Not new truth. Unchanging truth. We need to fight for that. So here's the lesson. Are you ready? Be a contender. Be a contender. A contender, being a contender means, listen now, you're in the fight. You're not on the sidelines. Okay, you're not in the stands. No, you're in the fight. You're in the fight, right? So it means you're in the fight, but get this, but it doesn't mean that you have to be contentious or obnoxious. And there's a lot of Christians who are like that, okay? You can be contentious, right? I mean, you can be, you can be a contender without being contentious. 
Listen to, Paul, listen to Paul's instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 26. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. The New King James Bible says it like this. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Gentle. Gentle, right? 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you, but respond with gentleness and respect. Got it? So, so in what ways can we contend for the faith? Well, this is the way we can do it. Witness to the lost. Witness to the lost. Lovingly confront falsehood. Confront falsehood, but do it lovingly. Got it? Don't be contentious. You can contend lovingly. Do it with a smile, with, with love. How about this? Refuse to compromise the word of God. This is the word. This is truth. We cannot compromise it can't. How about this? Live an uncompromising Christian life. That's how you contend for the faith. You and I are going to live a life uncompromising. Right? An uncompromising Christian life. Got it? Let's read on. That was once for all entrusted to who? That's us. The saints. They had received the same truth. The same truth that the saints before had received. They experienced salvation through the same Jesus. They had embraced that truth. And that truth, say that truth. Come on, say that truth. Never changes. Notice what he says. Once for all. So you can add or take away from it. Got it? It's the unchanging truth that's entrusted, say entrusted, entrusted to every single believer who must remain true to it. We are stewards, entrusted, stewardship, entrusted, right? We are stewards of the truth. So since we are stewards of the truth, we are to know it, to show it, and to share it. Amen? So lesson, here's a lesson. God's word is delivered once for all. God's word is delivered once for all. Listen, throughout history, we know this, right? Throughout history, there have been various movements that have, been, that have tried to claim that they're going to improve upon God's word. Muhammad offered his Quran. Joseph Smith, his Book of Mormon. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witness, the New World Translation. And you know, it's interesting that they would need to improve, they would need an improved and improved faith or word when Jude claims that it was delivered once for all to the saints. Listen, the revelation of God's word, got to get this church, the revelation of God's word is finished. Say that. And anyone who comes along and claims to have a, a new revelation from God to, to add to the faith once for all delivered to the saints is against Scripture. It's against the Word. 
Are you with me? Number six, we have the person, the people, the prayer, the plan, the pressing decree. Number six, the present danger. If you're still with me, say amen. The present danger. Verse four, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago. I want to stop there. Let's read that again. For certain men. Okay? He's talking about apostates. He's talking about false teachers. Whose condemnation was written, what? About long ago. It tells us that every single false teacher, every apostate is marked and destined for condemnation. Got it? So for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Did you get that? They secretly and intentionally came into the church, listen now, unnoticed, with the goal of polluting it. And this is why, friends, it's so dangerous. Listen, false teachers don't come into the church with a t-shirt saying, hey, I'm a false teacher. They don't. They secretly come in. They secretly come in. And this is why you need to know the Scriptures. This is why you need to know the Word. This is why here at Cry Out we preach you the Word of God. Okay, not some philosophy, not my opinion. The Word of God. They, they, they crept in secretly. Now what Jude does is he, he describes them by revealing three characteristics that expose them. So follow me here in the text. They are godless men. Say that. And Jude uses that word godless or ungodly a few times in this only chapter that he's written here. They are godless men. In other words, they are ungodlike. They are ungodlike, listen now, friends, in their thinking and in their living. Did you get that? They profess to belong to God, but they don't belong to Him. They have no reverence for God or fear of God. They desire, listen, their desire is not to worship God, but to promote their own agendas. The second characteristic is this, listen, who change or turn, get, get this now, who change or turn the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Did you get that? Don't we see that today? Huh? These ungodly men turned the gospel of its Christian liberty into a promotion of immoral sin. This is what we call antinomianism. Antinomianism. This is what antinomianism is. Since you're saved by grace, live any way you want. Do whatever you want because God is so good and God is so loving and so tolerant, he'll let you do anything you want. Listen, if you're one who thinks God's grace and free gift of forgiveness leads you to believe that you can go out and do whatever you want to do, right, and live any way you want to, and it really doesn't matter, then you have a problem. Look at how Paul warns us in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. He says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, 
the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. That, that, that word sexual immorality refers to all types of sexual impropriety. It, it includes fornication, adultery, homosexuality, pornography, incest, prostitution, and bestiality. Then he goes on to say this. Impurity, lustful pleasures, verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And this is what he says. This is the word of God, okay? Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living, say living, that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now listen. Paul isn't saying that you won't be in heaven if you ever commit one of these sins. What he's saying is that if these kinds of sins are the practice of your life. Got it? The practice of your life. In other words, the way you live, your lifestyle then you have a problem. And perhaps, I, I'm just going to say this, perhaps you're not saved. Perhaps you're not saved. And then the third characteristic, this is what he, what he writes here, in denying Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So how have these false teachers, these apostates, denied Jesus Christ? I'll tell you how. Through doctrine, Get that? Through doctrine, as in denying the doctrine and deity of Jesus Christ, and through lifestyle. Get that? Through lifestyle. By their godless, immoral behavior, they denied the sovereignty and person of Jesus Christ. I want you to get this. A person, okay, can deny that Jesus is their Lord by how they live. Prove it, I will. Titus 1.16. Titus 1.16. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. A person can deny that Jesus is their Lord by how they live their life. If you're safe, say amen. I have a question for you. By the way you live, your lifestyle, your lifestyle, does it deny or confirm that Jesus is the Lord of your life? When people look at you, the way you live, the things you, you talk about, your, your thought process, your, the way you think and, and, and the, the words that you say, the way that you live, the things that you watch, the way that you talk, when they look at you, does it deny or confirm that Jesus is Lord of your life? A lot to think about, right? So it's time for us to know the truth, right? That's why we come Sunday and Wednesdays, Bible studies, so we will know what? The, the truth. 
So it's time for us to, to not just know the truth, but to care about the truth. Do you care about this? Do you care about the truth? To cling to the truth? To defend? To contend? To fight for the truth? And I want to tell you, listen, Christians, I want to tell you, if we don't contend, if we don't fight for the truth, then who will? Who will? We are called. I'm going to close with this. We are called as believers, as children of the kingdom of God, followers of Christ, we are called to fight, fight for truth. Amen? Let's all stand.